Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Come on, Christopher, answer on. <laughs> Christopher, are you there? Hello, this is Chris. Chris. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. Hey, Chris. We had uh, we had some uh, <laughs> a few problems starting up the uh, show, so you're actually live on the on it right now. Too funny. Excellent. Hello, planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy Friday, sir, and thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Indeed, and likewise, likewise, thanks for the, uh, the invitation. You bet. Well, the first thing that we usually do when we start the show is, uh, you know, and we we get a guest on board. Is obviously, uh, you know, our audience might not be familiar with you at this point. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about um, who you are, how you started in the industry, and uh, and what you're up to right now. And then we uh, we'll ask a bunch of questions back and forth with you. Have a couple radio spots in between, and then we'll close it with uh, finding out where people can find you, and and you can uh, you can go into full sales pitch mode at that point if you'd like. <laughs> okay, I'll try and I'll try and avoid that. I guess thank you so much for for having me on the show. My name is Christopher Carthy. My current day job is I am uh, vice president of social business strategy at Amphibu. Uh, AV is a uh, management consultants. We're about uh, 30 folks to offices right now in Austin, uh, Mountain View, Silicon Valley, which is where I'm located, as well as Seattle, which is our headquarters. We are a company that's about three years old at uh, this point, and we're working with large enterprises to help them figure out what is, um, you know, what is the business and how is it going to affect their customers and their interactions and engagement with them. Uh, prior to being at ADV, I was with Edelman uh, Digital for about a year. And prior to that, I had my own company about years and for that a number of different startups and about a decade at Anderson Consulting, originally in Shrew, uh, back in the early pricing. Oh, wow. So you've got quite a, uh, quite a list behind you. Fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm old. So, you know, <laughs> you be both, and I'm holding both of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're you're far away from heart, Marty. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Marty definitely is young at heart. That's for sure. Um, he's he's even more mature than I am. So. I'm working close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we share similar titles, and one of the things I I commonly uh, run up against is is people want me to tell them what social business is, what it looks like, et cetera, et cetera. How how often do you uh, have to confront that before you can seriously dive in with a client uh, to actually get the work done? Oh, very, uh, very much so. But it does really depend on the on the area. one of the one of the interesting things is we are really fortunate in that we work pretty much um, exclusively with larger enterprises that have been on for a while, a while typically measured in uh, decades rather than uh, rather than years. And it's it's really interesting because. Different enterprises and especially different industries, I think, are at different points on that on that journey. And depending on how long the organization has been at it and what aspects of the organization have been involved, the answer to that question, what is the social business thing, it ends up being a little bit different. Some organizations that are very traditional and just get going, you've got some that have been experimenting for a while. You have some that have 
been through that experimentation phase of the journey and put operational practices in place. You've got ones that have their operations pretty well dialed in. We're starting to see that. And there's probably also been a, you know, sort of a, a theoretical level out there for innovation and enterprise that has all their employees engaged, all their customers, and they're really at their core of business. So answer that question of, you know, what is when you see companies that are at that stage one of the, the traditional or stage two the experimental, that's where the conversation will more take us to that, help us figure out what this stuff is. You know, companies that have been at it for a couple of years are a little bit further along and they're trying to figure out how to optimize their, their organizations. Do you find that the companies that are sort of at a stage two or three uh, might already be doing things like, you know, having a strong community management uh, functionality? Um, they've been doing social on the support, perhaps, in the marketing and sales fronts? That's exactly right. The, um, the folks who are in that, that kind of stage two, stage three area, they typically have done things in a particular area of the business. So it might be on the marketing side, it might be on the support side, it might even be on the product and innovation side. And what they're trying to do is figure out how they can break out of that that silo in that initial area where they may have gotten some success and had some traction and trying to figure out really how they scale it over and organization of typically tens or, or hundreds of thousands of, of individuals. And, and this is Doug. Um, I'm, I'm, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's fantastic that, um, working with enterprise clients. And I think it's what we're seeing a lot from, uh, from our point of view is that Companies are built into these silos and, and these established, especially large companies, have these established silos between, you know, sales and marketing and customer service and client services and account management, you know, that type of thing. And when you look at a social strategy, it requires that, you know, that you have a, a, basically a kind of comprehensive single approach to, you know, how you're going to service a customer online through the social medium, whether it's sales, you know, marketing or customer service people. Is are, are I mean, is part of your task there when you're talking to large companies and helping them with this to break down those barriers and basically build bridges uh, between those internal teams in in order to foster this this medium? It absolutely is, and a portion of how to do that, at least from at least from our perspective, is the silos really only exist in the enterprise's mind. From the customer's point of view, if you truly make a customer-centric or even a customer-driven view of it, um, you know the customer probably doesn't care what part of the organization you're in. If right. you are somebody who can interact with them and help them solve problems or do something that they're they're trying to go out and and really you know make a make a difference around. And so by really flipping that point of view hundred and eighty degrees and instead of thinking about the enterprise as a bunch of different functions that some all have to work together, if you really think of that point of integration instead of being a database in the enterprise, if you think of that point of integration being the customer herself or himself, it really changes that perspective. And by having that viewpoint of, here's what the customer is thinking and being and seeing and trying to do, and using that as a way to guide the thinking and the conversation, it really does change the perspective in a way that it's much easier to say, okay, you know, Support and marketing, uh, support and product, you guys need to be working together because of what the customer expects. And if you if you do take that customer-driven point of view and really have that, that empathy with what the customer is, is trying to achieve, it makes it much easier to have that conversation within the enterprise. You know, uh, Chris, what, what seems like ages ago, but really not so long ago, when you wrote the Social Customer Manifesto, I think you touched upon you know those key points so uh, so well. 
and it resounded with you know virtually everyone that's that's in this community. Um, tell us a little bit about you know what it's like from your perspective, uh, having gone through this kind of logical progression and evolution of the whole social uh, phenomenon, if you will. Uh, it's been uh, it's been really really interesting. I mean, that that original document and that original blog post that was entitled "Social Customer Manifesto" was written back in 2004. And the way that it came about was as I was starting to see at that point a lot of the things that we call social media today hadn't even really been given that moniker. We were just starting to see blogs going from personal journals into very early cases of business. Um, it was so several months before Business Week had that cover issue that's blogs will change your business that kind of kicked off, I think, a lot of the social you know, age now, if we want to call it that. And all of the things that led up to that were as I was doing research, as I was interacting with people, it was literally a series of stickies that were that were on my monitor, and I sort of pushed into the sheet. I came to the point where there were you know, a couple of dozen of those things, and started seeing that theme come to to bear. That really, if we do take a strong customer's point of view and think about what does business mean from the social customer's point of view, as opposed to solely from the enterprise's point of view that's where a lot of the interesting things happen. The, the evolution since then in that 2004, 2005, 2006, it was all about how do we blog? How do we be more transparent? That was where we were starting to see things like the uh, the Dell Hell example and some of those early social, social instances. And that was about the time where things like Facebook were just starting to get out there, and there was still going to be a couple of years before uh, before that occurred. So we saw the communications groups starting to to jump on blogs, having corporate blogs and the like. And I think that was part of the, um, for lack of a better word, let's call it the inertia. I think a lot of the things that are happening in social today do a lot of that social media versus the social uh, business moniker because the, the roots of them were in PR communications and, and related functions. The evolution, though, is definitely starting to accelerate into other parts of the business. We're starting to see a lot more around things like social service. It's a lot more around how do you actually get involved and activate the um, the people in the community who are passionate about an organization. And so it's it's starting to be a lot more pervasive, starting to see a lot more around things like how do the bits of social business interact with the HR function, which is something that we probably wouldn't have really predicted back in, in 2004 and 2005. So I think a big part of the evolution has been a, a move into broader parts of the organization beyond just the communication function. Right, well, and and of course, as as you know, as you and 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 all of us in this space have have been watching, um, the big enterprise players are you know diving headfirst in, into social business, making significant investments. Um, and it's interesting that you mention things like social customer service, HR, etc. They 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 almost emulate the. Uh, the modules you'd find in SAP, the functionality in Oracle, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I, you know, I I hope they take the opportunity to, you know, to really, like, correct a lot of errors, the errors, if you will, in the way they've created their solutions um, and that they somehow, you know, don't miss out on this opportunity, if you will. Yeah, I very, I very much agree. And the... You know, the, again, the opportunity, I think, to really rally around and rethink a lot of things from the customer's point of view and not only think about what does this paternalistic organization, you know, doing something at or doing something to the customer, but instead of really thinking about things from a, a much richer community point of view, is one of the that helps to change that, that mindset, especially when you start thinking about uh, things like uh, social and, and community support 
for example. It feels like it feels like we're still on the cusp of something great. Um, I think a lot of people are <clears throat> are feeling like you know this is starting to get established in some way, shape, or form. Um, but you know, I'm curious how you feel about where we are. You know, on scale, I feel like um, you know it's like, kind of like a frog going across the water. You know, and that's all of a sudden we get lily pads popping up in front of them, like you know, Twitter and blogging and Twitter and Facebook and and um, and of course he wants to get across to the other side, but I'm not sure we're quite there yet. Um, and I, and I think that we've still got a ways to go. And I honestly think that there could be you know some incredibly new technology right around the corner, you know, to foster the communication where you know both consumers are respected the way that they wish to be with their mission and and uh, but customization. And then you know businesses obviously you know get to um, get a lean mean you know, methodology for communicating effectively to their audience. I'm curious how you feel about where we are in this evolution. Oh, I think we're very, very early still at this point. I I do think this is going to be a, a generational change, not once that's measured in, in quarters. And so this is something that's going to play out over the next um, a couple of decades, not the not the next couple of, of weeks or months or or quarters, and so this view, this this realization that there really are two parties in all of these types of, of business interactions, and they they may have equal weight as opposed to again the organization controlling all of the all the means of interaction, I think, is, is something that we're just on the cusp of. We're starting to see all of these services pop up around having personal data stores and ability to have the information that I want to share much more under my control. We're starting to see a lot more conversations around privacy and the, the implications of that online. And so... As we start to figure out not just how to better automate the things that have already been done and do some of the, the wrongs that we've always done, but just do them faster and get beyond the, the idea that the, the holy grail is if we have big data, we can mine it for everything that we need and instead start thinking about, you know, in some cases, you know, it's called small data. You know, what's happening around baseball, what's happening around Mars, what's happening around Doug. And look at business from from that perspective. That's the the thing that's going to um, really really start to take off. But it's again, it's going to take um, you know, years, not decades, until that point. Interesting that you mentioned privacy as an integral part of the whole mix in this this evolution, if you will. That privacy has been you know one of the things that I've ranted about for the last three years and. My contention is that I hope that this whole social uh, effort that we're seeing there will have to, you know, guide um, the industry, if you will, you know, into a new place where they really think about privacy from a consumer's point of view. Um, I know that Ray Wang just wrote something about privacy and had a, a very extensive checklist of seven key privacy. And, and specific recommendations. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? No, I think I think it's going to happen, and depend on where we are looking. Things are going to happen at different rates. I I do wonder if a lot of the drivers for that will be as enterprises start moving and and to do things on a more global level. If some of the different Areas of the of the world that have different privacy restrictions, for example, uh, the EU, if that will accelerate and start to drive some of these these conversations a lot more deeply than they than they have in the past. So I do think that is something that's going to be increasingly important. And I you know I don't know if it's going to come out through organic reasons or if it's going to be um, regulations that cause that 
change to a lot more focus on, on privacy as a, as a key part conversation, but I definitely think it is uh, going to continue to be inevitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the pregnant pause. I think we're going to ask. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're probably going to ask the question. Well, I, I just think this is funny, and I'm curious, you know, with working with enterprise companies, um, and we have probably, I think our mix is probably about 20% large corporations, 75% small, medium-sized companies. Um, with very, very large companies, I think that's where we see the biggest fear uh, come into this. And I'm curious, you know, I think um, a lot of people hire us uh, and um, maybe even hire us, but start talking to us about and we start asking questions about their culture internally and, and the methodology by which they manage internally, the freedom that their employees have. Sometimes we just honestly don't see a fit um, because a, a company just isn't mature um, enough, if you will, um, to accommodate a, a social, you know, uh, basically having their employees run a little bit free. Um, and I think... Um, First, I think it's terrible when that happens. I, I just think that um, it points to additional issues within within a company that that could cause problems. Um, but the second is, I'm curious if, uh-oh, Chris, are you still there? I am. Oh, shoot. Um, the, the second is um, that I think they're really, really severely hurting themselves, especially if they have competition that is growing from a social standpoint. I, I'm curious what you see in that. Are, are the companies that skew out really mature and they're ready to move, or do you sometimes, you know, kind of back down some of these leaders at the companies and say, you know what, at this point, I'm not sure that, you know, you could be successful in, in you know, in creating a social business given that, you know, it, it really the common culture that you've created here. Yeah, it really depends on the on the organization and perhaps even more so on the on the industry and the and the customers that we're working with in places like high tech, in places like um, retail and consumer packaged goods. There are enough case studies and instances out there that people I can see, yeah, this isn't um it's it's not all that scary and other folks have done it and and been successful in starting to, to transform their business and, and go further along the, the journey. When we start looking at organizations in other industries, financial services, for example, there may be some conservatism there, but even in that case, there are folks out in the industry who are working in regulated industries, who are underneath you know, the thumb of um, FINRA rules and the other types of things that are a little bit constraining, but still are able to go out and be successful. If you look at somebody like, say, a USAA, they've done a fantastic job in a regulated industry of going out and interacting with their customers in the community and doing things that, you know, anyone who can go to a civil industry and can take some inspiration from. And even in a highly, highly conservative organization, there are almost certainly a couple of mavericks within those walls who are doing either on the organization's behalf or even as individuals. And by showing what those folks have done and and celebrating their successes and trying to tell those stories internal in those organizations can start to chip away and, and break down some of those walls, I think. And how and how long does you know, I mean obviously I, this is a subjective question, but you know, do you think that that's a you know, that's something do you think a company that's antiquated in its approach and maybe maybe a little bit old school um, where they have outbound sales and marketing is strictly a branding and, you know, customer service only answers when the person's old for, you know, five minutes. Is that years 
in what they're taking as far as kind of transforming their business? Or is that something that they can literally turn around, you know, in months? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, if you look across the entire enterprise, I mean, these kinds of changes into the, the DNA of the whole organization, that is a years-long type of, of time frame. Now, that said, that is looking at doing a massive, again, tens or hundreds of thousands of person enterprise transformation. The timeline to do things in a particular area to prove out concepts, to get a couple of things, to come up with some internal relevant case studies that can be used to help spur change in other parts of the organization, that's a much more real time frame. You know, that's probably from a couple of quarters to a you know a year or a year and a half. It's a much shorter time frame, at least to try some experiments, get some feedback and some real data of what's going to work, what's not going to work both in the industry as well as within the organization. And then those initial wins can then be brought in and socialized and used to kind of crystallize different parts of the organization. So a, an entire transformation is a much longer time frame, but that said, it shouldn't be daunting if there is a portion of the organization that can start to get some some change happening in a, a much shorter window. Let's, let's take a short break, and um, when we get back, I have to discuss, you know, kind of your approach to that. And uh, and then hear some more about your thoughts on the future. This is a great interview with uh, with Scarfy of Ansight and View and and the the Social Customer Manifesto. We'll be right back after a message from uh, from our friends at Zoomerang slash Survey, survey Monkey. Monkey. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to survey your customers or employees but thought it was just going to take too much time or cost too much? Well, it doesn't have to. With Zoomerang Online Surveys and Polls, you can sign up for free and send an unlimited number of surveys and polls. It takes just minutes to create and send a professional-looking survey. Zoomerang makes it easy to get started with a newly updated user interface and over 100 professional templates you can customize. It's easy, fast, and best of all, free. The data you get from surveys can be invaluable to help you make better business decisions and plan for the future. Get started today by signing up for a free account at Zoomerang.com. And thank you to those guys. Great, great group of people over there and. And right now they're rescuing these two humongous, you know, alligators. You know, Zoomerang, which has this huge presence and and following, and then SurveyMonkey as well, and and two different platforms. So they're having fun trying to you know get this all together into a single brand. Fun stuff. We are on the line with uh, Chris Garfi of Anti View. Um, Chris, when we last spoke, we were just talking there about um, a large company and the changes that they have. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts continuing as far as, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, one of the things that I feel in my heart is that companies need to adopt even a different hierarchy internally um, because of these changes. And, that's, you know, for one example, uh, Tinderbox was just in the room, uh, Isaac Pellerin, he's the uh, chief revenue officer at Tinderbox, and I love that title because, He's responsible for inbound marketing, um, obviously, uh, you know, marketing efforts, advertising efforts, as well as um, the revenue that he's bringing internal to the sales team. And I think that that's just a step forward because it requires him to both accommodate, you know, needs and wants of the sales team and understanding, you know, how they're positioning and selling product, as well as, um, you know, translating that. To, to inbound efforts in, you know, design and social and how they're speaking to the public. Um, I think, again, I was talking about traditional companies. It's typically, you know, kind of a sales versus marketing uh, approach. So, ah, you bring crappy leads, you know, we can't sell this or, or you know. Like, yeah, you can, go, you can go straight into uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm curious, do you see on the – on the horizon at all, companies honestly changing the paradigm of hierarchy at companies to accommodate the social business? I think so. 
though. And again, you know, I think this is going to be in, in evolutionary types of things. I think there will, for the foreseeable future, there will be a lot of the traditional structures around um, marketing and sales and support and the like. But what is starting to happen, and you know, if we take the uh, you know, if we take the support side of this, it used to be very, very, very hierarchical that if a customer had an issue, they would talk to someone in the call center first, and if that person couldn't help, then there was an escalation of supervisor, and if that person couldn't help, then you might actually get to an engineer after some amount of you know minutes, hours, or, or days. And what we're starting to see now is this move towards other models that are very non-hierarchical where you've got a customer coming in with a a challenge or a, a question or an issue and instead of having to literally triage through these, these three levels of the organization, instead customer comes in, the the opportunity or problem is tagged or identified in such a way and then people from around the organization regardless of their official title might swarm to help try to solve that problem. So that's an example where this set of individual skills and individual interests of the individuals in the organization can completely route around or subvert the hierarchy that's in place to actually solve a customer's problem. People are going to continue to make that, and essentially, organizations are relying less and less on structures that they have in place and starting to get more outside their walls to interact with customers. I think we can see that as a as a force and function to drive a lot of this change. If you're out there using a listening tool and he says, hey, I want to buy something from company X, um, you know, it might be coming in through a listening center that an organization has set up to work on social channels, or it might be coming in through a, a path where someone in an employee's network on Facebook or Twitter has dropped something out there and that person within the organization had said, oh, wow, this is somebody who, A, I know, and B, I can help. And if that person who is um, you know, picking up on that signal is in HR or even in an admin function, if that contact gets passed over to the people who then can help solve that customer's problem who may, might be in a you know, sales type of role or a support type of role, then I think that is totally natural and totally within the realm of, of possibility. And that's a, a case where the traditional hierarchy completely gets routed around, again, if we take the, the point of view of the customer first. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely uh, spot on in, in my experience too, Chris. You know, over the last three years, what what I've encountered is you know companies essentially get to a point where they want to be sure that that someone is responsible for something for resolving a problem, and when you distill it even further, they basically want to be sure that it's recorded in some way, a system of record, if you will. And so what I've always tried to do is, is, is separate the, the act of actually helping someone solve a problem uh, from how they think they need to be recording the resolution to that problem within their, uh, you know, within their uh, uh, business applications. Because when you start to not confront that sense of hierarchy, but instead show them that the, the two can actually work together and be complementary, uh, then they start to move, you know, beyond that notion of, you know, we need, you know, corporals and captains and majors and all that to the point where, you know, the people that want and can solve a problem or resolve an issue um, are the ones that should actually be recording the resolution of that as well. So spot on stuff there, Chris. No, I, I, I mean, I've seen the same thing, and actually starting to see some interesting things out there. Had um, had lunch a couple weeks ago with a uh, with the, the founder of a company called Prism, and they own PRI ZZM, and they're starting to work on what 
is really you know, the, the customer side of that. It wouldn't if we as individuals had our own, um, you know, contact management system, if we had our, our own vendor relationship management system instead of a, a customer relationship management system if we're, in the, uh, if we're in the enterprise. And what if instead of figuring out who within the, the enterprise needs to be recording all of these things and systems of record, again, you know, one, one of the things that I'm certain will happen, I, I, I just don't know if it's going to be five years or 15 years, is that we all as individuals are going to have our own systems of record and we will grant access to portions and slices of those to the vendors with whom we're, we're interacting. And again, the, I think the inevitability of, of that model flipping 180 degrees or at least having some parity is, is something that's, that's going to happen. You know, it's, it's difficult to tell exactly when that, that snap is going to take place, but when you start seeing things on the, the progression, the, the start to line up a bit. You know, we met at Cog.com a decade ago as the silliest things ever, but now when you start seeing things like uh, Zarly or even Craigslist fulfilling some of those features and functions of, hey, I need X, who can help me? Um, that's a very, very, very different type of a paradigm than the, the traditional enterprise-only, enterprise-driven command and control type of structure. You know, I saw I saw like the the smallest, most miniature example of that this week. Um, someone sent me a note uh, from actually I think it was the PR folks did from a company called uh, Bouncer. I don't know if you've seen this, but B O U N dot C R. And it's no, I seen it. it's it's a pretty interesting thing, and it's for it's purely for email only. Uh, but basically, what they do is they give you kind of a it's not a disposable email address. It's an email address where they stand in between all of you know everybody that you want to release your email to from a social app standpoint and and you and so you basically enable the communication you know happening you can distribute this email address all over the web but you get to select and filter who can send you email and who can't and and to your point it's a great medium between companies that might abuse or misuse you know this information and you and it it gives the control to the consumer rather than you know rather than the media the platform or 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 worse the advertiser you know and I, I I think it's like I said it's on a you know it's a very 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 tiny you know portion of this but I thought it was a a really intriguing idea to give give power back to the consumer um, but allow them to manage that permission level and uh, in a in an equitable fashion. Yeah, Doc, Doc Searles, who was the, the co-authors on Clue Train sure. back in, in 99, refers to those types of services as fourth-party services. They're, they're entities that will act and do act on behalf of the individual customer to, to interact with the, the vendors who are on the other side of the, the, the transaction. And so I think... There are a handful of those types of organizations out there today, and I think we're going to see them grow, you know, hundredfold or, or thousandfold over the, the next few years. In cases where people a figure out that such a service is needed, and then b we start to figure out for those organizations that do take the customer's um, point of view and provide true valuable services to them, as those types of fourth-party services start to figure out business models. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's exciting for me to say that too because I think I, I don't think marketers have a very good um, job at educating um, customers at how they're utilizing data effectively. I almost think there needs to be, you know, I like I love that the customer, the social customer manifesto, and I also think that we need the industry to agree upon a set of permissions and controls that that are unanimous. You know, it's it's kind of like when you look at a nutritional package, you know, we look at the nutritional guide on, on any food, you understand, you know, to some extent what it means and what the different parts are because every 
food manufacturer uses that. It almost seems to me like we need everybody in the social industry to utilize a very similar way of communicating, you know, how they're using permission and why they're using it. Uh, because I, I we're <clears throat> some companies do an incredible service to com to consumers by collecting this data. You know, people like I think Google does a great job at collecting this data and and providing a, a personal experience that actually saves you time and effort, you know, as you're browsing the internet and looking for for things. But the you know, the media side of it spin that is they're spying on you, you know, they're taking advantage of you, they're invading your privacy and everything else. And I, I, I really think that there's there's middle ground somewhere where, you know, we need to come together as an industry, create a, a standard, and then educate, you know, consumers on how how we're going to utilize the information and to to their, you know, to, to how they want it to be used. Yes, agreed. And you know, I don't know if it's a, a regulatory thing where there needs to be a, a that's driven by by some sort of law-based you know, aspect, or if it's something that is a, a grassroots type of thing, or if it's something that those individuals start to do as as well and say, hey, you know, I will I will share X, Y, and Z with you, um, and I expect this in in return and. Again, not exactly sure what the what the mechanism is, but you're right. There are some different ways of understanding what types of information are being shared, um, who's using them once they are shared, and what controls we as as individual customers have over how people use and reuse our, our information. Then that definitely would be a piece of for lack of a better term, it's called infrastructure that's required in order to have some of these changes be a lot more pervasive. Yeah, and God, God knows we need more, uh, more detailed terms of service. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Chris, I uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, oh, go ahead, Marty. No, please go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say I forgot who it was, and I'm sure you could find it with a, a quick. Um, a quick Google search, but there was somebody three or four years ago that in their terms of service for their, you know, for their online service, buried on page, you know, 17 out of 30 or whatever it was, they had a line in there as, you know, first person to send an email to obscure email address um, who's actually read the TOS will give you a thousand dollars, and it took like it took like weeks before somebody claimed the, <laughs> the bounty. That's fantastic. I, I've been reading a, a book written by Susan Cain. It's I I, I believe the title is uh, the, the Power of Introverts, and I, I got to thinking about you know the, this whole phenomenon of, of of social and 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 what we think social business should look like. And I guess my question is, do you think this is also an opportunity for for people to improve the way they actually work together? Um, you know, her point is that introverts, um, you know, tend to get stuff done and, and you know, she gives great examples, but, you know, in a corporate setting, frequently people that don't, uh, aren't outgoing or, um don't participate in in the normal ways that others expect of them somehow get get overlooked or passed over and to, to me i just think that you know as we're building this whole this whole new social uh experience perhaps we should be listening to people like susan kane and others to help us really make it much better so it's interesting you you mentioned that especially around the the, the different traits Around introversion and extroversion and, and things like that, when we when, when anybody starts at uh, at Anti View, one of the first things that everybody who's in the organization does is take a uh, sort of a self-diagnostic called uh, Insights, and it's it's similar to, to sort of a Myers Briggs type of thing, but it's uh, your your results instead of having letters, they are color-oriented, red, yellow, green, and folks different, different colors have yeah, yellows are much more 
outgoing and social. Reds are kind of the get stuff done people. Uh, greens are are more around harmony. Blues around really being tail oriented and and oftentimes a lot more introvert. We actually. Uh, everybody takes that, and then we actually have them up uh, posted if if the individuals choose to to do so. And when we create our project teams, that's actually something that is very um, open, transparent, and we actually overtly use that knowledge in figuring out a not only um, how to balance the teams, but b really trying to to create teams in such a way that. We do have a good balance of, of skills, and everybody knows what everybody's sort of pluses and deltas are, so that we can work together and get things done a lot more, a lot more efficiently. So I do absolutely think that sort of thinking and that sort of visibility into personal, individual traits and tendencies and preferences is hugely successful and hugely helpful in getting better collaboration going across across organizations. Nice. Well, we're going to uh, pause for our second uh, advertiser here, and then uh, we'll spend a few minutes, uh, I think, closing up. And, Chris, we'd, we want to hear more about where people can find you, talk to you, find you online, all of that good stuff. We'll be right back after a word from uh, Delivera, incredible client of ours, an email service provider who, uh, who just does a fantastic job of taking care of their customers. Deliver has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Deliver helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services, from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies. Delivera partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866 866- 9159465 Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog. Well, I hope that's better on the on the live than it did in our in our office. That sounded like it was a someone was revolving a tape or something manually. <laughs> I just wanted to add that I only feel truly extroverted when I'm wearing a monkey mask. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, a little inside joke there. Speaking of, you know, we we love the folks at Deliver and they're working with a bit the last year. I, I did want to put a shout out to uh, to our friends at Exact Target. Uh, Exact Target, of course, a huge ESP that just went public yesterday. Um, had an incredible IPO. Um, Chris Baggett and uh, Dorsey started the company many many moons ago, and I was I was lucky enough. Um, to to meet Scott and uh, and Chris early on, and it was one of my uh, one of the best jobs I ever had. I was an integration consultant with them for uh, for probably about two and a half years, and it was probably about six months after they had kicked it off as a as a real company. So just absolutely exciting to see them skyrocket like this and ring the bell, you know, out there in New York. So congratulations, Scott Dorsey, Chris Baggett. Scott Blazinski, who was a early uh, VP of sales there, and um, everybody involved. I know there's plenty of millionaires walking around today. That's all well deserved because I know they were uh, were lean and mean back in the day, and, and trying to get that company started. So kudos, kudos to the team over there. <clears throat> and uh, and Chris, to, to close out, we always, you know, we uh, it, it's just incredible that you gave us so much to think about uh, with this show, and. Uh, we always like to ask, where can people find your voice, um, either offline, online? You know, do you do public speaking? Uh, indeed, indeed. You know, typically, you know, found at uh, at industry conferences, and so some of you guys have, um, you know, interest in in continuing any of these conversations in that type of forum. I'm definitely interested in in chatting as well. Um, online can be found my uh, put 
addresses at antsuieveview.com. That's uh, that's our company site. My personal blog is at soulcustomermanifesto.com. Um, and the, the URL there is just soapcustomer.com. And it can be found on pretty much every network, uh, at least all of the fairly well-known ones, under the, the handle of C-Carfy, C-C-A-R-F like Frank I, on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Well, that's fantastic. And your blog, <clears throat> I should say, too, is a top 25 marketing blog as well. Um, so congratulations on, on just uh, – Putting out some incredible material for the rest of us to digest and and leverage with our audiences as well. Thank you, thank you. And we're big admirers of what you're doing there at Anti, uh, Chris. So um, uh, you know, continued success to you and the whole Anti team. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, you know we're we're just uh, three years old uh, as of last week, and you know, company is is continuing to grow and. We're just, you know, we're very, very fortunate in having some really, really, really fantastic uh, enterprises that have entrusted us that we've been able to uh, to do some great work with, and looking forward to continuing to do that going into the future. Any uh, any customers that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, we have uh, worked with with lots of, of different folks. We go to the the and. Uh, and look at the, the customer page there. There are many customers uh, that we've worked with over over the years, and we've got a, a number of folks listed listed on there. Fantastic, and and I always like to you know work with some cool you know like uh, we work with uh, Yasha Kakis Wolf and his team are at Mindjet, and uh, and just you know it's it's powerful when you get when you get someone on the other end of the line when you get a customer that. You know, thinks at a at a much higher wavelength than even you're <laughs> you're thinking of. Yasha challenges us, um, you know, on a weekly basis uh, with with strategies that he's trying to to push his company forward with. And I'm trying to think of who else. You know, deliver a course is is just a customer service based organization that's fantastic. Survey Monkey, uh, you know, customer intelligence of course is important. I don't know if we can give shout outs to anybody else. Well, I think that's enough for now. We're um, we're just delighted that you could uh, join us today, Chris, and um, certainly look forward to chatting with you in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody, please please go to socialcustomer.com and uh, and and start a dialogue there with Chris. Uh, incredible material, and uh, you can really transform your organization by by you know simply simply listening to what he's uh, he's doing that's leading the industry. And great, and thank you guys again very much for the invitation. It's been a fantastic conversation, and looking forward to uh, to keeping it going. Okay, Chris. All right, thank everybody, you, have a great day, and thanks everybody for uh, for uh, joining us on the Marketing Tech Blog. And uh, glad we didn't have any audio issues this week. We had we've had some ups and downs lately. So, um, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.